0: Um, sorry is this not on not working did I have it wrong Well, we're going to be talking about the book of Ruth, and it's the topic of, of the book of Ruth is God's faithful love, his, his hesed. and we may ask, well, what does, why, you know, this seems weird to talk about the book of Ruth when we're uh, talking about fathers, but this morning, actually, we're going to focus on the one prominent male figure in the book of Ruth, and that is the person of Boaz, and in this final chapter, Ruth really gives us some insight into what it means to have a legacy of blessing. Now, when I was young, I was sharing the gospel with my dad, and I remember asking him. I said, "Don't you care about what happens to you when you die?" And you know, when I was young, you know, I just can say anything, you know, really young. So I said, um, "Don't you care what happens to you when you die, Dad?" And um, my dad said something that he that I did not expect. He said, um, "It doesn't matter." He said, "All I care about is that my children will be cared for." Now. Personally, as a Christian, my perspective is different from my father's. I believe that what happens after you die actually is very important. But my father's answer reminds me of the idea of legacy. See, legacy is about what we leave behind. And for men, I believe that legacy particularly is very important. For men, we want to say, hey, for all the years that I've been doing these things, what do I have to show for it. I mean, that's what men say. Uh, this is a big deal. What have I produced? Uh, how will I be remembered? What are the things that I can point to and say, this was because of me, because of I've spent these years on Earth? And these are all legacy questions. I believe for women, the measure of meaning and satisfaction is often found in relationship. But for men, uh, the, 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 it's found in legacy. And now as we look at at the the, the book of Ruth, we want to look at, there's a comfort and there's a challenge in regards to legacy. First of all, their comfort is that every man here, we will definitely leave a legacy. In Christ, we know that our days and years here on Earth have meaning and significance because of Jesus, and that means that indeed we will have a legacy. And in fact, the question is not whether or not I will have a legacy, but rather what type of legacy Am I seeking to leave? Now, the challenge is that legacy, as we look at this passage, legacy is not about the past. See, we may say, depending on how old we are, we may say, well, for me, I say, well, I'm over 50. uh, What can I do now? In terms of legacy, uh, how we may say, well, how can I make up for the fact that I've made some pretty bad decisions, or I've already done a lot of things, or already chosen the direction of my life, and these things, and 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 so 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 how? can legacy, how can I change that legacy? But here, the good news that we'll see today is that God is saying that, that, that everyone here right now, no matter how old you are, no matter what choices you've made, no matter what your past is like, that God is saying he's giving us an opportunity to build a legacy starting with the choices that you make today, tomorrow, and each and every day for the rest of your life, that this is about legacy. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today in the book of Ruth. And I want to give a quick summary uh, about the book of Ruth so that we'll get uh, a chance to, to catch up. And I know that I've been giving this summary every single week, so I decided to do it in a different way. So we'll go ahead and look at this uh, slide. Because of a nationwide famine, Naomi, her husband Elimelech, and two sons leave Bethlehem to the country of Moab. In the next decade, Naomi loses her husband and both her sons, and decides to return home alone. Ruth, Naomi's recently widowed daughter-in-law, expresses God's hestit by choosing to cling to Naomi, despite all of Naomi's reminders that to do so would mean to share in a future of hopelessness and sorrow. Shortly after the two widows return to Bethlehem, Ruth makes good on her promise and goes out into the fields to scavenge grain for the And here we begin to see God's sovereign plan begin to come together. Out of all the hundreds of fields, Ruth goes to the field of Boaz, who is not only an eligible bachelor, but more importantly, a relative of Naomi's late husband. This qualified him to act as what is known as a kinsman redeemer, someone who can purchase Naomi and Ruth out of their bondage of poverty. But being qualified and being willing are two different things. It was highly unlikely that Boaz would be willing to marry a poor, marginalized foreigner who had no inheritance to offer, only debt and financial liability. And yet, in another expression of godly hesitancy, Boaz eagerly welcomes Ruth, because despite her social disadvantages, from a character and spiritual perspective, she was a treasure. But there's one very large hurdle that must be overcome. Unbeknownst to Ruth, there was a closer relative who had priority over Boaz in redeeming both Ruth and Naomi. And in our passage this morning, we will conclude our series by looking at what transpires in this final chapter of the book of Ruth. All right, so why don't we turn to Ruth chapter 4, verse 1, and let's stand in reverence for the word of God. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, and sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And then Boaz took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. And so they sat down. And he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of the land that belongs to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say buy it in the presence of those sitting here, and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me, so that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it and come after you. And then he, the, the uh kinsman redeemer, said, I will redeem it. May the Lord bless the reading of his word, you may be seated. Now from this passage we're going to see that we will not fail to leave a legacy of blessing if we make the right choices in defining moments. So we see here that Boaz, he he went down to the city gate of Bethlehem, and the other kinsman redeemer comes by the gate. Boaz asks him to sit down, and Boaz calls these 10 elders to serve as kind of witnesses. There's going to be a legal transaction that goes on here. And Boaz is actually, he's very strategic and how he's going to approach this uh, kind of uh, negotiation. So in verse three, he, re- he reveals Naomi has returned from Moab and is selling this parcel of land that belongs to her late husband, Elimelech. Now what this means is, Naomi has land, but that land is in debt. And somebody has to pay for that debt to get them out of that, and then with they pay for that debt, they will possess this land. And he says, now, uh, uh, Boaz says, well, I would have purchased it without your knowledge, but I need to give you the, the first option to purchase that land according to the law, so, uh, so you know, I'm being this good guy uh, and, and giving you that option to purchase this land first, but if you opt out, I'm perfectly willing and ready to purchase it in your place. So then in verse four, this unnamed kinsman redeemer, though, he says, I will redeem it, because he's thinking, hey, you know, more land is great. Sure, opportunity to buy some land. Then Boaz slips in a very important caveat in verse five. He says, on the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you will also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. I like the way that he says this. He goes, it sounds like a horror movie, actually. On the day that you buy this field from the hand of Naomi, you will also acquire Ruth, the widow of the dead. (laughs) And that sounds really scary. But in that day, that's not how it sounded. In that day, really, it just meant that that this is a widow whose husband had passed away, and you will also acquire her as your wife. And so, um, then the kinsman redeemer says, um, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. And so this legal transaction is finalized by the shoe, he's, the, 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 um, the redeemer takes off his shoe, gives it to Boaz, and this is kind of a symbol to say, now you are able, you have the right to walk on this land because you can purchase it, and now this land belongs to you. And so Boaz takes the land, he uh, marries Ruth, and as his beloved wife, he gives, they give birth to a son, and the writer reveals at the end that this son is the great-grandfather, will become the great-grandfather of King David, and that ultimately this will be the line of the Messiah. So it's a really wonderful story. Now, we look at this and say, well, now what does this have to say about legacy? Now, I want to go back to what we said. We will not fail to leave a legacy of blessing if we make the right choices in the defining moments. Now, if you look at this passage, if you read through the whole book of Ruth, it's not a long book, you will notice that this other kinsman redeemer, who's closer, his name is never mentioned. They always say, and he, or and the redeemer. They never mention his name, and that's intentional, because it's like the writer of the Bible saying, this man's role in God's perfect plan is insignificant. In fact, he is so unimportant that we're not even going to mention his name. His name is not even worth mentioning. That's his legacy because of the choice that he made. In contrast, Boaz, he only appears in the latter part of Ruth, and yet his name will be forever associated with the birth of the greatest monarch in the nation of Israel, and ultimately with the name of Jesus, the king above all kings. So we look at this and say, what's the difference between Boaz and this unnamed kinsman-redeemer? The fact that Boaz is going to have this great legacy Of of, of history of who he is and this kinsman redeemer, nobody's gonna, we don't even know his name. That what makes the difference is what we say is right choices in the defining moments. Now we want to unpack this and say, what does this mean? Well, it starts with choices. Choices make the difference between having a legacy of blessing and having a legacy of nothing. And so we look at this in verse 6. It says, And the unnamed Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, technically, he it's not that he cannot do it, because he said he wanted to, uh, which means he had the means to do it. But it's more that he will not. Redeem this. And so he, he's talking about saying, I won't do this because it's going to impair my inheritance. Now, what does that really mean? Well, I believe his responses actually expose kind of two what I call manly motives. Okay, men will, will understand this. Manly motives. The first, these are the things that drive men. And the first is reputation, and the second is money. Okay, So we say, how does this transaction, how does buying this field affect this man's reputation? Well, in, ancient Jewish, in the ancient Jewish community, Moabites were actually looked on with great disdain. They were uh, part of Lot's daughters who did these terrible things, and so they were considered these people who were cursed by God. And so, first of all, not only is Ruth a Moabite, which, you know, um, Boaz made it clear to point it out. He says, not only is she a Moabite, but she's a poor Moabite. And, and everybody in the, you know talk, he said, this is a poor Moabite who's the daughter of Mara, who is cursed by God. And so this guy's thinking, well, no, if I marry this girl, you know, next thing you know, I'm going to be on TMZ. I'm going to be trolled by social media. I'm going to have to cancel my, uh, my, my Instagram because there's just going to be all this talk. About this guy who married a Moabite, you know, we don't know his reputation, but but he's thinking about that. This is going to ruin my reputation. That's a worldly perspective. Now you contrast that to Boaz. When Boaz met Ruth for the first time, he said to her, "May the Lord repay you for your unselfish love and integrity and honor and godliness." That's what he saw in her. And then later on in chapter three, when when she uh, Sits by his, uh, his, his feet, he, he says, Man, but he, he looks at her and says, Now you have blessed me even more by the fact that you're willing to marry me is beyond my wow. This is my great privilege to marry you. And, and so for him, he looked at Ruth and said, She's a treasure. It, it, they, looked at, they were looking at two different things. Now, to give you an example, my nephew, you know, he was at this event, he's a little guy. And uh, he was a little guy, and he he had this raffle, and he had his heart set on this prize that he really wanted, and he didn't get that prize. Instead, he got something else. He got this bobblehead and he's really discouraged, he gave it to my sister, my sister looked at it and she gave it to me, she showed it to me that night and she goes, yeah, you know, so-and-so, he was really disappointed, he really wanted that, you know, squirt gun of rose, but instead he got this bobblehead doll signed by some former Stanford football player, you know, and I looked at it and I go, and it says, uh, best wishes, Andrew Luck. And I literally screamed, I like, go, ah! I said, I'll take it, I'll take it right now. <laughs> you know? And then, so she kept it, she said, and so, but see, the thing is, is that, <laughs> I was so excited, you know, and of course, my, my, my nephew was like, oh, who cares, I don't know who this guy is. But it's what you look for. When you look for something, and, you're, and that's important to you, when you see it, it's like, whoa, I got to take it. But if you're not looking for it, you're looking and go, you know, I wanted something else. I'm really disappointed I got this. And this is is the difference between this unnamed kinsman redeemer and Boaz. See, this unnamed kinsman redeemer, he was looking at, what, worldly acclaim? He was looking at worldly reputation, uh, godliness and honor and unselfish love. He didn't care about those things. They were not on his radar. So when he thought he had the opportunity to marry Ruth, he said, oh, no, forget it. This is going to hurt my reputation. I don't even want to consider this. Whereas uh, for Boaz, when he looked at it, the things that he valued, the things that he was looking for, when he saw Ruth, he said, This is a treasure. If I have the opportunity. To marry this person, man, I'm not going to pass this up. I'm going to do everything I can uh, because um, this is important. I look at at honor in terms of honoring God. That this woman is a is has the favor of God upon her life. That those are the things that He wants. I want a wife who has the honor of God in her life. See, for men, you know, we think of reputation. Uh, reputation for us is everything, right? I mean, we want to be honored in the workplace. We want to be treated the way that we think we're worth in terms of what we're worth, are worth to the company. We want to be treated like that. We want our wives to respect us. We want our children to continue to think that, you know, we're the heroes that, that they thought we were and things like that, and, and for a man to lose these things would mean to lose almost everything that is meaningful in our lives. See, we want to be able to say, you know, this is the work that I have done. We want to say, this is the college that I graduated from. This is the, the project that I worked on. You know that, that, that phone that you're using right now? Well, Daddy was a part of, you know, doing the, the uh, whatever, the software for that or whatever. You know. we, we want these things to look at and say, hey, this is the life. These are the, this is the, the things that I have produced Now, if God has blessed us in that way, that's great. We praise God, but here's the thing. Jesus, when we we stand before Jesus, men, when we stand before Jesus, it's not gonna be about like, oh, you know, here's the things I have, here's my credentials, things like that. Those aren't the things that are gonna matter. What's gonna matter is the choices that we made. Will I choose to honor the workplace? And, and get honor in the workplace? Or, or am I going to choose to have honor in the eyes of God? Will I choose to be envied by my peers and other professionals and be written up you know, in articles about who, how great I am? Or would I rather choose to be loved and honored by my family, that my children know me, that my wife loves me, Will I choose to, to give time to, to building my career uh, and, and building my resume, or, or will I choose to use my time in, in building my wife to, to be a godly woman, encouraging and, and building my children to love Jesus with all their hearts? See, these are the choices that build legacy, choices that we as men, we have every day, that that we sometimes we ignore the treasures that God sets before us, and sometimes we just chase after garbage. And if we do so, we will have a legacy of garbage. That's what the Book of Ruth is saying. And so we look at the first manly motive is reputation. Uh, the second manly motive is money. Going back to verse 6, he says, Then the unnamed redeemer again says, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my inheritance. Now, basically, what he's saying here is talking about inheritance, and he's saying, If Ruth and I get married and I bear a son with her, then that means that I will have to take my part of my inheritance and I'll have to share it with that son. So I have children already. Maybe he has children already. Maybe he has an inheritance saved up. But if I take on this person, then part of that inheritance that I'm saving up for them or for myself or whatever, I now have to give to a stranger who I don't think really deserves it. See, the kinsman redeemer, he's standing in complete contrast to the Hesed of God. So the hazard of God is, is that God is a faithful God of love. God is generous, that God is willing to give up his only son, to die on the cross so that, that he can give us the inheritance, that we can share in the inheritance that belongs solely to Jesus. And God says, I'm so excited and I love you guys so much that the inheritance that Jesus deserves, that, that he deserves because He is the king over all creation. He's the only one who has obeyed me and honored me perfectly. And he deserves all the honor. But I love man so much that I'm going to willing to take that inheritance that my son deserves and I'm going to share it with all of mankind, with all the people that will put their faith in Jesus Christ, that I will give my son to die on the cross. And we talked about this in the Life Bible class. I will give my son to die on the cross so that you can share in this inheritance. That's how excited God is. That's the type of love that he has in terms of wanting to share his inheritance with others. And so I want to share that, you know, if you've never received Jesus Christ as Savior, if you're here and you have never put your faith in Jesus as Savior, this is the type of god who loves you he really loves you he he is saying that that no matter where we are no matter what we have done god is saying i want to share this this inheritance with you, this blessing with you, a blessing of heaven, that we don't have to earn our way to heaven and say, you know, am I good enough? Have I been a good enough man? Have I done enough things? God says, well, those things don't matter uh, uh, to me in terms of going to heaven, in terms of receiving inheritance, because why? Because he has given his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sin, to take our place so that if if we confess our sin, put our faith in him, follow Jesus Christ, we will receive freely this gift, this inheritance that God offers uh, to each one of us. That's a gift. And God is saying that, that, that if we receive this gift, uh, we will not only have, um, we will not only have a, a legacy here on earth, but we will have, look forward to an inheritance in heaven. So it's, a, it's like a win-win situation. It's, 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 it's like how can you pass up, I don't want to say this, this deal of the century, but this gift that God wants to give to you right now. And so, so Boaz um, was willing, Boaz on the other hand, as he thinks about um, this uh, inheritance, Boaz on the other hand, in terms of money, Boaz is actually, he's willing to pay the cost To redeem Ruth. Boaz is kind of like he's showing the the love of God. He's saying, I'm willing to, you know, the the Redeemer, the unnamed Redeemer was saying, I'm not willing to give anything to to bless someone else, especially if they don't deserve it. And Boaz says, No, I'm willing to pay the cost um, to redeem, to rescue Ruth. And Boaz is showing this sense of of, uh, I'll pay any price to redeem this person because I love her. I love her deeply. I value her. And, and, and the question that, that now comes to mind for us is uh, when we think of as men, when we think of money, possessions, um, what are we willing to sacrifice in order to gain God's favor? Now that doesn't mean that you can purchase God's favor, it's not for sale. In fact, if it was, none of us could afford it anyways. But Jesus tells this story. He says, "If you want God's blessing, if you want God's favor, it will cost. It is free because Jesus gave it to us, but Jesus gave it to us, but in order for God's favor to continue to rest upon our lives, it's going to cost. Uh, Jesus told this story. He said there was a man who found this treasure in a field. And uh, we don't know why the treasure was sitting in the field. Maybe he's a worker in the field, and the the owner of the field happened to bury his treasure there. I don't know why the treasure's in the field. But anyways, he sees his treasure in the field. What does he do? Uh, He pockets it and runs away. No, he doesn't pocket it and run away. He goes and he buys the field. Um, He buys the field and goes and, and gets the treasure. And so what, he's, what, what Jesus is saying is that, hey, when you see something so valuable and you come across it and you know it's not yours, but you have the opportunity to get it, what would you give for this treasure? And he's saying, this man, he gave everything, bought that field, keeps a treasure for himself. So it did cost him something. He had to do something. And see, men, at the same time, for all of us, we want the blessing of God. We talk about we want this blessing. We want to be godly men. We want to have a legacy, of blessing. We want our families to be blessed. We want our children to be blessed. And God is saying, if we want this legacy, um, it will cost. That that we cannot spend all our time looking at the stock market. Sometimes we spend a lot of time. We look at the stock market, hoping we'll finally purchase that stock that's gonna you know make us rich, right? Or we say, well, I'm looking for that that one startup. You know, I got a cushy, I got a good job right now, but I want that one startup that I will just kill myself for. But who knows? You know, if I pick the right one, uh, uh, some big company might buy it and I'll be a millionaire. So I just got to work real crazy and hope that, that we come up with a product that some other company wants and they'll buy it and I'll be rich. Or we say, well, I'm going to buy property. I'm going to find out you know, where the market is going and I want to buy these houses that are cheap right now or they're nowhere cheap, but cheaper. And, 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 and they're saying that it's going to, uh, eventually that, that property's going to go up and if I'm smart, I'm going to buy that property and I'm going to watch it go up and I'm going to sell it at the right time. And so we men, we think about this. And I know we think about this, okay? You know, we're all godly men we say we don't think about this. We do. We do. We spend time on it. And, and, and God says, yeah, whenever you want to get something valuable, there's a cost. And, and, and what he's saying here is that the cost um, of this field, the cost of God's favor, you're going to have to, instead of putting all this effort and energy into these worldly things that we are trying to finally get, He's saying, you're going to have to, men, we are going to have to think about how we're going to take these costs in order to find this legacy of blessing. Because we're not going to get both because you only have so much to give. You choose to give to the world you sacrifice this but you take those things and you take energy your time and your thoughts and your worry i don't say your worries but your your passion and your prayers on the things of god's favor the treasure that god really desires it it, it will um it will pay eternal dividends and so again we will not fail to leave a legacy of blessing if we make the right choices in defining moments. Now, we have looked at right choices. Now, I wanna talk about what are defining moments. Now, um, what is a defining moment? That's really easy. A defining moment, (laughs) here's two of them. Two defining moments. If you remember, when KD drained a three-pointer in the fourth quarter of game three and put the Warriors up six points, that was, that was a defining moment because we knew at that time, okay, we've got it. You know, there's no way KD did it. The other one was J.R. Smith. When he held the ball in the last, what was it, eight seconds of the game, When he should have shot it or got fouled or something, and he held the ball because he thought they were ahead, but actually they were tied, and then the game went to overtime, and the Warriors won, then that was the chance which his team could have won the first game of the finals. That would have changed the whole picture of the NBA finals, but because of that one act at that defining moment, uh, that, will de- that will determine his legacy through hilarious memes over the internet. If you look at some of them, they are crazy. I feel so sorry for him. And uh, so th- uh, we know what defining moments are. Defining moments are moments that we will never get again. There are moments that where you have to decide, what am I gonna do? Because it has great consequences. You have to be ready. You have to know what the score is before you decide what you're going to do. See, now Ruth um, was a widow. She was a foreigner living off scraps in the field. And, 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 and the Bible is saying if she can make a difference for the decisions that she makes to care for her mom and leave a legacy of blessing for her, then so can you and I if Boaz, Boaz when he met Ruth he simply just said you can get water when you need it you can have shade when you need it it's the least that I can do for you because of the kindness that you've shown to Naomi that's all he did and, 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 and God is saying from that choice of showing this type of kindness and love you are going to have you are going to be the great great grandfather of King David You're going to be uh, included in in the line of the Messiah. See, if, if choosing God's love makes that much difference in the lives of Boaz and Ruth, imagine what God's love can do in yours and mine. If we make the decisions, if we find those defined, we look for those defining moments where we can make choices for God that will make a difference. And we choose God. God is promising that he will do great things beyond what we can imagine. If I can stop thinking about protecting my earthly inheritance just for a moment and my earthly future, and I could start providing for others through sacrifice, through, through humble serving, even tomorrow, imagine what God can do. See, it's all about identifying those moments when I need to make a conscious decision to choose God rather than myself. And, and that makes all the difference in the world. Now, you see, it's very simple. We, we, we make this decision constantly. Actually, we do. You know, Do I choose myself or do I choose God? Do I choose the things that satisfy myself, my needs, and, and my reputation, my honor? Or do I choose the things that, that honor God, that... that, that Push his kingdom forward. Um, I was at, uh, uh, I was sitting uh, in uh, the car dealer doing my work, and um, and I was, uh, you know, waiting for my car to be repaired. So I was doing my work, and I was saying, "Oh, this is a busy week because Matthew's wedding's coming. I got a paper due. I got to do this and that." So I'm doing this, and and uh, looking at the waiting room, and uh, there's one guy, and he's like this extreme extrovert. He's like talking to everybody in the thing. And I'm like, got my headphones on, so he's not going to talk to me. And then pretty soon people start leaving because their cars are getting repaired, right? So he starts moving closer to me, you know? And I'm like, oh, let's do this. And then he's sitting next to me. He's finally, he's sitting next to me, right? He has nobody else to talk to. I'm sitting there. Now, I have a choice, right? I can keep my headphones on and just keep typing away like I don't, like I don't even notice him, right? But I know he wants to talk. <laughs> I mean, I really know he wants to talk. So I'm like, okay, I'll take my headphones off. And I say, hey, so uh, what you, wh- you know, what's, what's wrong with your car? And he goes, oh, let me tell you. And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. And, and I was like, oh, you know, <laughs> listening, listening, listening. But what was really good is I got to share the gospel with him once. And then he kept talking, 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 talking. I got to share the gospel again with him twice. (laughs) He kept talking, 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 talking. And I got to share the gospel with him a third time. And he kept talking, talking, talking. So I was like, hey, God, you know, even though, you know, I would have rather had that one hour and a half (laughs) or whatever, how long it was to just sit and get my project done, and I would have got a lot done. Uh, instead, I would sit for an hour listening to somebody. And you got to understand, for an introvert, this is really hard to sit for an hour and, and try to converse with somebody who just is an extreme extrovert, just you know, like this. And, and uh, sorry, don't mean, you know, if you're an extreme extrovert, you know, go for you. But, but I'm like, of course. See, I would rather have gotten an hour and a half work done. You know, I'm like, God, you know, this is great. I, when I went to the thing, I was like, this is great because I'm going to be in a place Just put my headphones on, plug in my computer, and I just boom, 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 boom. And I'm like, oh, great. And yeah, it was an hour, like an hour and a half, really. But hey, hour and a half to share the gospel three times with somebody. What's more important? What's more important? See, see the, the, the question is, is the thing is, is that if we don't choose, if we don't consciously choose the kingdom of God, then our default is always self. We don't have to choose self. It's just automatic, Right? No matter what happens, I'll just choose self. It doesn't, I don't have to consciously think about myself. I don't have to consciously think about my needs. I just automatically meet them because that's my default. And so if we don't make conscious choices in defining moments, we're, all those defining moments are just going to go towards self, right? It's just going to be me, me, me all the time because that's my default. Boom, boom. If I'm not making any effort for the kingdom of God, it's all going to come to me. Because that's how we are. That's a sin nature. And that's why God says, if you want to have a legacy of blessing, if you would rather be the most valuable player rather than the most reviled player, then you have to make choices. You have to look for those defining moments when your choices really matter. And you have to be ready to choose at that moment. Moment to choose Christ, to choose the kingdom. Because that moment may never come again. You know, Jonathan Edwards, one of the great American revivalists. He boasts many accomplishments. You can look it up online, and I looked it up. You know, Jonathan Edwards' uh, accomplishments, and they—they uh, they have a lot of stuff. It says he's born on October 5th, 1730. He enrolled in Yale at the age of 13 and graduated valedictorian. He is a prolific writer. He preached one of the most famous sermons in American history, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Uh, Jonathan Edwards College was established in his honor in 1933. We look at this and say, wow, that is a great legacy. Can you imagine having a legacy like that, that people remember, a valedictorian at Yale, all these writings, to have the most famous sermon to be remembered? What a legacy that would be. But see, here's his legacy. Edwards and his wife had 11 children, and this was their greatest legacy. At the turn of the 20th century, American educator A.E. Winship decided to trace out the descendants of Jonathan Edwards almost 150 years after his death. And his his findings were astounding, especially, especially when compared to a man known as Max Jukes. Max Jukes' legacy came to the forefront when a family tree of 42 different men in New York prison sy- in the New York prison system was traced back to this guy Jukes. So Jonathan Edwards' godly legacy, as he looked at Jonathan Edwards' legacy, it says he inc- his 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 legacy included one U.S. vice president, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30. Justices, 65 professionals, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, and 100 missionaries. 100 missionaries. That's his legacy. You're not going to see that when you type up Jonathan Edwards' accomplishments, greatest accomplishments. You won't see that. They, they, they don't listen. I, I looked at many websites, Jonathan Edwards, Lawyer's accomplishments, Jonathan Edwards, Life Story, what did he do? It's all what he did, it's all this, you know, revival, American revival, all that stuff. But this is his legacy. 100 missionaries. It, it says something about who he was as a person, who he was as a father, what was important to him. And I say this to us as fathers here because, yeah, we may end our lives and say, mm, I'm not sure what I have, what I've done. I, mean, I don't have books that I've written. I don't have, a, you know, colleges named after me. I'm not even sure if people remember me. Well, I mean, if you've been a good father, a loving husband, and you train your children in the Lord, and maybe they don't follow you like you want them to right now, and you say, oh, I don't know what they're gonna grow up to be, but you don't know what they're gonna grow up to be. You don't know what their children are gonna grow up to be, and you don't know what their great-grandchildren are going grow what their children are gonna grow up to be, you don't know. And what God is reminding us today, as we look at, again, as we close up this book of, of Ruth, is that yes, if we make those right choices, In those defining moments that come every day and we consciously choose to pay the cost, to choose God, God promises that you will have a legacy of blessing. We don't know what type of legacy it will be, but it will be a legacy of blessing. It will be something that you have contributed to the kingdom of God that you may not even be able to measure until we're in heaven someday and we look back and we give all the glory to Jesus anyways. But this is the encouragement that we receive as we think about, um, as we think about the book of Ruth, as we think about who we are as men. Don't ever sell, your shell, sell yourself short. And don't ever say, I don't have enough time now or I don't have the means now or I've already chosen my path. No, that's not true. Today is the day when you can decide what type of decisions you're going to make today, what type of decisions you're going to make tomorrow, what kind of decisions you're going to make for the rest of your life. And that is what God will use to give you this legacy. Let's close in a word of prayer. Let's spend some time. Let's spend some time in quietness before the Lord. And men right now, we just pray. Come before the Lord and pray. Women, sisters, please pray for our men. Because this is not an easy thing it is a very hard thing to do in this world, in this world right now. But if we do so, looking at all the men in this room, what a blessing it will be, what a powerful work it will be for Jesus if every man here had a legacy of blessing. Father, we thank you and we praise you because even as we think of all these opportunities, we come back to you and recognize that we have them only because of your grace, Lord. We praise you because you are a God who loved us, you are a God who uh, forgave us, who saved us, and not just saved us so that we can enjoy life, but saved us so that we can be a part of this legacy, Lord, of the kingdom of God, Father, I pray that you will instill in our hearts together, men, women, all of us, Lord, a desire for your kingdom, a desire for the fame of Jesus, a faith and belief that this is the best thing that can ever happen, ever, ever, in our lives, in the lives of everyone around us in in the world, Lord. God, help us to be those people who will pay the cost, will pay the cost to love and to choose you, Lord. And we know, Father, that even in this week, there are going to be decisions that are really, really hard, Lord. But Father, we pray that even in these decisions, you will enable us to honor Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.